God damn, it's good to see you guys. DeFranco, get your ass out here. Major? Major. <laughs> You're all here tonight. That's very special. It's been six weeks since Susie checked out. Sweetheart, we all miss Susie. Then please, will you humor me? With a seance, the spirits speak directly through us. If there are any spirits here, make yourselves known. What the hell is that? Don't you dare get up. What? We have to end the seance before we break the circle. Look! Spirits, force your way into our world with all your might. Come in. I broke the circle. That means the door isn't closed yet. So how with you then? Oh no! You're not gonna drag us into the dark with you. This madness is over. This war is over. Says who? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How's it going? Greetings and salutations, veterans of war. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I am doing well. It's the uh, end of another week, recording, and got another horror movie to watch in the theater this weekend, so things are looking up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, I don't know why because, that I, oh. well. I, I think that's just force of habit. I, I'm actually recovering from the flu. I, I do not feel well by any stretch, but we've postponed this episode enough. And so I just wanted to go ahead and get it over with. I got a, I got a big weekend of podcasting, too. I got multiple shows going on. So I, this is kind of like a, a, a prep, if you will, just to see if my voice can handle, you know, going two, three hours this weekend. Climbing so, back up see. on the hill. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Yeah, well, hopefully then tomorrow you can go back to using it for rest if possible. Yeah, I got a show tomorrow, too. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. All right. Yeah, I well, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, then join us as well. It's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? What's going on? Always happy to be here. <laughs> all right. So. Yeah, another uh, week off of uh, the theatrical releases. So, hey, Shudder put out a new release. One of the slim pickings of new releases we got for the month of June so far. About halfway through the month now. Um, And Shudder hasn't had the greatest track record with these lately. But, uh, hey, every time we do one, there's always a chance that uh, we're going to get the surprise in there. So... If anyone has Shutter, they should know it's Brooklyn 45 that hit or dropped on the service, so I'll take the synopsis. Five military veterans, best friends since childhood, gather together to support their troubled host, and the metaphoric ghosts of their past become all too literal. All right. So that uh, gives you a little taste, I guess, what you're in for. So we'll start with general thoughts with Venom. What did you think of Brooklyn 45? 
I can sum up my thoughts on this movie in one sentence. This is my new number one horror film of 2023. Now, to call it a horror film, you might want to put horror in quotations. Even IMDb doesn't call this a horror film. They've got it down as a drama history. And I can't disagree with that. There's very little horror to be had here. Um, the trailer definitely makes it look like it's going to be a supernatural, you know, seance-driven horror film. But ultimately, the seance doesn't take up nearly as much of the film as the trailer implies. This is very solidly a chamber movie. And for those who don't know the term chamber movie, it basically means a movie that takes place in one room, one, you know, isolated location. You know, we get some intros and outros outside of the room, but, you know, 99% of the movie takes place in one room. This movie could be looked at as a stage play. Like, if they put this up on stage, I think it would be just as compelling. Yeah, the gore might not be there, obviously. You know, what little gore we actually do get in the film. But let me tell you, my friends, I absolutely adored this film. This this movie really, really um, resonated with me. Some amazing performances. All six of the actors in this film, I thought, did spectacular work. Uh, the Ted Gagan, of course, being a, a director that I genuinely like. And ultimately, if this movie does end up being my number one by the end of the year, this will be Ted's second movie uh, of his that is my number one of that particular year. The first being We Are Still Here from 2015 was easily my number one film of that year. And that film, obviously, is, you know, th that one's more of a ro of a horror roller coaster ride, if you will, with a lot more action and gore and, you know, cool set pieces. This one is a little toned down compared to, well, it's very toned down compared to that one. But my friends, this story of, you know, five military veterans getting together after the end of the war it just, like I said, it resonated with me. Every every uh, line delivery worked for me. Every bit of dialogue, uh, the storytelling I thought was great. The score is great. What few effects we actually get in this film. I mean, you know, there's maybe like one or two little gory scenes in the film and they both look spectacular. Practical effects, again, as always with Ted Gagan. Um, he also directed Mohawk, which wasn't quite in my top 10 that year, but was very close because I loved Mohawk as well. But this one uh, just there, there's so much to love about this film. And ultimately, I know I'm going to be a, a man on a lonely island with this one because it doesn't have a very high rating on IMDb. I'm already seeing reviews on YouTube of people calling it slow, dull, not really a horror film. And ultimately, I'm not going to disagree with any of those assessments. If you watch this movie and think it's just not for me, it needed more, that's fine. But for me, I was riveted the entire time. The cinematography is gorgeous in this film. The color play of the room uh, against um, like the contrast between the bright colors in the room, the bright green paint on the wall, uh, the bright red and blue American flag hanging off the wall. It contrasts so beautifully to like the dull muted tones of the clothing that our characters were wearing, because obviously no one's really going to be wearing bold, you know, colors in 1945 necessarily. Uh, but I, I just thought everything about this movie worked for me. Uh, I love this story. I love the if you, I guess you can call it a resolution, uh, though I've seen a lot of people kind of say this movie doesn't really have a resolution. 
Um, I might disagree with that. Yes, the movie does leave you with questions. There are definitely unanswered questions that the movie leaves you with. But ultimately, it didn't affect my enjoyment of it. Um, like when I watch a movie that is potentially going to be my number one of that year, I get that same feeling where I'm in my living room or in the theater, depending on where I watch it. And I just kind of sit quietly and digest what I just watched. And this was another movie that did it for me. Larry Fessenden, Fessenden excuse me, I always mispronounce his name, um, has this beautiful monologue near the beginning of the movie about suicide and, you know, uh, how it affected him with a particular character that kills themselves before this movie takes place. Goddamn amazing. I mean, <laughs> that, I, I could watch that scene alone over and over again. Um, like I said, it is a slow burn. Ultimately, we do get some supernatural elements. We do get a legitimate ghost, not like a trick or a parlor, you know, some kind of parlor trick or a ploy. Um, it, you know, we actually do get some legitimate supernatural happenings. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a couple of decent little gory scenes in the film. Uh, the second one just absolutely left me with an ear to ear grin. I just absolutely loved it. And then just, as I said, the, the, this movie is absolutely a character study. It's a character study of these five characters and then a sixth character that kind of joins halfway through the film that just, I, I was riveted the entire time. I actually cared about these people. I cared about how this situation played out. Now, uh, I understand that I'm going to be in the minority on that. This movie is not going to play well for, especially hardcore horror fans who love Either, you know, a lot of tension, a lot of really like um, supernatural atmosphere. This movie is not that. I, I mean, this movie is solidly a drama. I'm, I'm not even going to deny it. Just the, the way that I would say that something like a St. Maud, which was also a number one movie for me, was a really a straight drama with some horror adjacent elements uh, in, in it. That's what this movie is. But for whatever it's worth. I absolutely adored this film. I actually watched it with my wife. Uh, Mrs. Venom absolutely agreed with me that it was one of the best things that she's seen this year. And she's not a horror fan, mind you, my friends. You know, she tolerates it for me, obviously, but she's not the biggest horror fan out there. She does have some favorites, mostly classic stuff like The Shining and, you know, Night of the Living Dead, stuff like that. But we both agreed that this movie had amazing performances, a great score, really good set design, great sound design, um, beautiful, um, as I said, costumes, uh, just everything about this movie works for me. I, I'm, I'm probably talking it up because, like I said, it's only at, what, like a 5.8 on IMDb. So obviously not everyone is going to agree with me. And the couple of reviews that I watched and read for this film don't really agree with me, but it, this is, you know, this is a time when I'll happily die on this hill. I love this movie. And as of right now, June 15th, 2023, this is my favorite film of the year. And that's regardless of genre. I've been singing the praises of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 since I've seen it. This movie just made me so happy watching it. And and I will admit, uh, I, I'm going to caveat that by saying I am a fan of like World War II content. I like World War II movies, documentaries, things like that. It, it's something that I am mildly interested in. So maybe that's why this movie spoke to me a little bit more than it did the most. But for whatever it's worth, I fucking adored this movie. Maybe not quite a 10 out of 10, but maybe with some rewatches, um, it may grow to that point. 
And yeah, I mean, I, I can't really say a whole lot more about this without spoiling too much. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that I, <laughs> I that we're going to get some dissenting opinions on this one uh, from my co-host, which is fine. Again, everyone's opinion is valid. And if you hate this film and get mad at me for watching it after I give it this glowing review, then, you know, by all means, you have that right. But for me, I absolutely loved every second of this movie, right down to the closing credits and how the movie opens in four by three before expanding to 16 by nine. And then the movie goes back to four by three for the ending and the closing credits. Even the font on the closing on the closing credits kind of having like an old cursive typeset feel to it. Just I loved everything about this movie. But since it is a Ted Gagan movie, it kind of makes sense since I do absolutely love that guy. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and shut up now and just, you know, once again, repeat. I fucking love this movie and it is currently my number one of 2023. Well, um, number one of 2023 is... uh hard to live up to so let's see uh what don thinks of uh of the movie don what are your general thoughts on brooklyn 45 yeah i'm there for a lot of it but i'm not quite fully on board as uh, venom is um I, I i do agree with a lot of what he says i i do like the setup i do love the characters i think they're a great group of people that we get to watch um especially with uh, a lot of the revelations that come about which kind of temper your feelings towards a couple of them uh, I, I wouldn't say vividly but uh, there is the chance that uh, some of that occurs uh, throughout the course of the film where it loses me is where uh, Venom said that it's not really a horror movie and that's kind of what and uh, does it for me um, once the seance occurs that pretty much eliminates almost all of the horror elements in the film for me and that's kind of where it loses me um i i I do like the story i do like um a lot of where uh, a lot of what comes about but yeah the the lack of it being a real genre film kind of undoes it for me and that's kind of where it loses me just it's not a bad film by any means. I, I do agree with a lot of what he says. I, I do think that a lot of what goes on in here is really interesting and really enjoyable. And I, again, it's, you know, a, a great group of characters that we kind of, you know, whether or not that you, you change your opinion on them over the course of the film is, uh, you know, personal preference and all, but yeah, yeah, the, the lack of real like genre thrills is kind of where I, it, it falls off for me, but yeah, I, I totally agree with a lot of what he says, and I can see where, you know, a lot of what Venom said can come true. And, and yeah, overall, I, I, I don't have much else to add. Um, not number one for me, but, uh, yeah, it's very high on my list. If there was more overt horror scenes, it would probably be closer to number one. But, yeah, overall, really enjoyed it, really had fun with it. Um wanted more horror in my stuff but um i'll take what i get with this one all right um well so for me i'll say not my number one of the year so far but very high up there i i really enjoyed this one i was i was kind of surprised i've been i've been so down on like a lot of the stuff shutters released that you start to have a pattern of just going into the movie, like hoping like, am I just going to at least get like a six out of 10 here? But no, this one was actually good. I found the story, the characters, 
um, the the way things played out very engaging. Um, I agree, like the horror elements that we do have, they're not plentiful, but what we do get, I really enjoy. I I did like the seance scene. Um, I liked a particular character's death that I won't spoil. That was a pretty good looking practical effects. Uh, maybe there was some CGI in there to enhance like the enhanced like the death as it was happening but it looked pretty good and um i liked we got uh to peek in on something going on behind a door that was cool and yeah i i thought it was solid throughout um the main criticisms that's been levied i agree like for hardcore horror fans they might be looking for something that just has more horror in it but for me just as a movie I still think it's a very strong movie. Um, I like kind of like the the aspect of like you don't know what characters to trust. You don't know who's kind of lying about the situation. Is this all just like PTSD of characters not over the war that's just been fought? Um, so there's like a lot going on in here. And like I wanted to or I watched like a couple uh, reviews and explanation videos. I wanted to watch more just to get my own better grasp on it. I mean, I think I generally know what was going on, but I I, th- I feel like there was a lot for like such a small self-contained story, just the way it's written and the characters that are here and kind of the way they're, you know, bouncing off each other in the situation. Um, I thought it was strong. There's lots of elements of other movies in here. Um, and this, this movie just kind of mixes them all together to make for an entertaining time. Um, I was, it was never hard for me to like keep my focus and follow the story. Even, even when we had like downtime between horror stuff, I still was like engaged and interested. And I, I at all times wanted to see how it was going to unfold and like what the, what exactly was going on. Because when, once the confrontations start, it's, they make it kind of difficult to, uh, for the viewer to figure out like, okay, who's just crazy. Who's lying. Who's telling the truth. And, um, I love where it went throughout the movie, how different characters started to reveal different aspects about themselves. So almost kind of change your, you might not change your opinion about the character fully, but just like, Oh, there's more to this character than I realized. Like they're not such like an innocent or guilty character as I thought before. Um, and I think it ties up pretty nice, and I was, I was impressed, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm I'm still kind of like surprised, like wow, this is good. I I need to watch it again because, um, I I don't know, I, I'm almost in like a state of like, oh my god, Shutter, like we've been dogging you this whole time, and <laughs> can you get more stuff like this, please? But yeah, I I was a fan. Um, I'm probably gonna watch it again. Like I said, after like watching other reviews and explanation videos, I'm I'm, I'm kind of even more like uh, motivated to just check it out again. Um, but yeah, a good time. Uh, that's probably it for now. So Venom, I'll kick it back to you. Another thing that I really really enjoyed about this movie is that there's no real protagonist antagonist relationship in this movie. Like, I mean, if you ask anyone who watched it, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, you don't really know, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, the Colonel Larry Fessenden's character kind of comes off 
as maybe ignorant, racist, uh, whatever you want to go with, and obviously hurting because of, you know, the suicide in his family that occurred before the film starts. Um, you know, he's obviously a broken man, broken from war and broken from lost love. So, I mean, he's what he ends up doing right after the seance almost makes complete sense to me. Uh, but ultimately, like I said, the movie leaves you with so many questions. You know, was Hildy a Nazi? Is Bob going to pay for what he did? Is is the major going to pay for what he did? Just it leaves you with so many questions, but it did not affect my ultimate enjoyment of the film. Once the movie was over, even though we still had those questions, it didn't bother me. You know, sometimes unanswered questions, and you guys know this more than anyone, I mean, sometimes unanswered questions bug the shit out of me when it comes to horror films. But when you give me a compelling story like this with amazing performances, great dialogue, uh, you know, beautiful storytelling, just impeccable filmmaking. I mean, like I said, I can't talk highly enough about just the set design of this room and just how colorful it was and uh, you know, especially considering it's set in 1945, because those of us who weren't around in 1945, all we have is black and white footage to look back on. Obviously, we know the world wasn't black and white back then. But since that's all the footage we have, you know, to see something this bright, this colorful, um, it, it just kind of almost takes you out of the setting. I mean, if it, if it's not for them constantly talking about Nazis and the war, you could almost make the argument that it's not 1945, that it's maybe slightly more modern times, you know. But again, these performances and Ramsey is absolutely stellar in this film as Marla Sheridan, just, you know, a, a woman who's and ultimately everyone in this film has done terrible things in war and they're, you know, they're trying to get past it. They're trying to move on to it. I love uh, this movie reminded me of Rambo of all movies, but specifically one particular line where Rambo's commanding officer in First Blood, the first movie, not Rambo, you know, First Blood Part Two, but in the original First Blood movie, when Rambo's commanding officer, I think it was Richard Crenna, right, was the actor, when he says, John, the war is over, and he says, it ain't over for me. It ain't over for me. That is the whole theme of this movie is these people not being able to get past everything that they've done over the last few years and just go back to normal life, to normal society. And I fucking love that. I've never seen war myself, so I don't know what kind of effect it has on someone's psyche. But considering some of the things that these people did that they described themselves doing during the war it makes complete sense that they can't separate themselves. I mean, hell, one of the characters is still in his full army gear. You know, everybody else, because it's December 27th is the date of the film, uh, 1945, the setting of the film. So it's a couple of days after Christmas, a couple of days before New Year's. You know, everybody's, you would think that they're getting together just to kind of celebrate the, the end of the war, but no. Um, these people are getting together. It, it's almost like a, a pity party for our Colonel Larry Fessenden's character. Uh, what was his name? Colonel Stanton. Uh, just. Oh, I'm sorry. Colonel uh, Hockstetter. I'm sorry. Wrong character. Yeah, they were calling him Hawk the whole movie. Yeah. Colonel Hockstetter. Just. Yeah. You could see just the despair in his eyes of both what he's done and what's waiting for him in the afterlife. Because, I mean, think about it. Do you actually think God is going to be okay with a soldier who killed, 
you know, a, a, just a plethora of people just because his commanding officer told him to do it. I mean, you know, there's there's morality at play here. There's racism at play. There's PTSD at play. There are so many themes under the surface, which is why I fucking love this movie. There's just so much to take out of it. And it just leaves you with this feeling of, you know, regret, despair, you know, everything that these people went through both at war and on this particular evening, you know, the events of the movie, you know, these people are going to be changed forever. And um, some of them in in very negative ways. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about, you know, who survives and who doesn't, blah, 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 how many people survive, whatever the case may be. But yeah, th- th- this movie leaves you with so much to think about, especially for someone like me who, like I said, I've never seen war. I don't know what these people uh, on a firsthand basis, I don't necessarily know what they're talking about or how it must make you feel to watch some of the things that they've seen. Yeah, we watch horror films and we see people die every day in horror films. But, you know, when was the last time you saw a school of 56 kids burn you know, that's that's not something that you could probably walk away from psychologically. So, you know, there there's that sense of sympathy. And then, like Mike said, as as more elements of the movie are kind of, um, re, you know, exposed and, you know, some of the things that some of these people did during war, you start to develop these opinions of who is a good guy, who's a bad guy. And ultimately, you know, of the the movie is described as five military veterans and technically only three of them have actually seen live combat. One of them was an interrogator. And then the other one was like a Pentagon official. So, you know, he was in Washington the whole time, you know, a pencil pusher, if you will. But even the stuff that he probably heard about and, you know, maybe didn't talk about and some of the opinions that he had going into the movie, you know, they're, they're very palpable and just, there's so much to think about with this film and these characters. And yeah, this is a movie that I'm going to be thinking about for a long time, which is why I'm saying it's my favorite movie of the year, because that's what those movies tend to do to me, you know, be it the sadness, be it uh, hereditary tigers are not afraid. St. Maud VFW, my favorite movies of whatever year, they always leave me with so much to think about. Uh, and maybe not the sadness so much. The sadness is just, you know, uh, ear to ear grin the whole goddamn movie. So maybe that was a bad example. But still, you know what I mean? Um, this movie is absolutely a case study in fear, paranoia, trust, PTSD, all of it. And I fucking love that about it. So, yeah, I, I'm going to be singing the praises of this movie for a very, very long time. And considering it's a Shutter original, I don't know if it's ever going to get a physical release. I'm praying because I I own every number one movie since I've been podcasting. Uh, just, you know, they, they move me so much that it's something that I want to be able to return to anytime I want. I don't ha- I don't want to have to worry if it's streaming somewhere. I think Hope- Shutter is actually pretty good at getting their stuff out. Um, they work with RLJE, I believe. And I know oh, that okay. there's some of, some of their stuff does have physical media releases. Um, for context, I think they just announced that Deadstream was getting a Blu-ray. So I think that, that's, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, Deadstream is uh, is the latest one to get a release. So I think that's kind of in the order of where they're at. So it'll probably right, be right. Uh, maybe next year um, when if it gets one. I mean, I don't know. But I'm just saying yeah, I that's remember. The thing, 
Mm-hmm. Shutter, I, I, I think I, I know that they've got a lot of their stuff out. Uh, maybe DVD, not Blu-ray, but I know that um, a lot of their stuff does come out. Um, like I said, I, I just read that Dead Stream was getting a release, so I think that's kind of like where they're at in their their release order. So I think we still have a lot of the stuff from November, December, and then earlier in the year to get through. Right. Deadstream makes sense that it's getting a physical release because that was one of the more popular movies from last year, even though I was a little bit down on it just because I'm kind of a found footage snob. Um, And I had a major issue with the main character in that movie. But, you know, that's a story for another podcast. I can see why that one gets a physical release. I honestly don't see this one getting a physical release. Like I said, just watching some of the reviews that I, you know, read and listened to uh, over the last 24 hours since I watched it doesn't seem like the the reviews for this movie are overwhelmingly glowing. Ultimately, as I said, I'm the only person that I've heard praise this movie, you know, the way that I am right now. So I obviously fingers crossed, but if as long as it's always on shutter, that's okay for me too. As long as I don't lose my internet on a night when, when I feel like watching it. But um, yeah, this this one, like I said, it may not work for everybody, but it's so worked for me. And I, you know, for whatever it's worth, Ted Gagan is turning into one of my favorite directors. He's turning into like another Mike Flanagan or, or, you know, any of the other big name directors that have kind of come out over the last decade or so. So, yeah, even though Ted doesn't really do a lot of movies, I mean, it seems like he only does a movie every like four or five years, maybe even more. Um, Like I said, Mohawk was his last movie, which was what, 2019 or 2020, something like that. And then, of course, We Are Still Here was 2015. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he does. I think he splits a lot of time with uh, promoting because I actually get a lot of the stuff that he um, as a promoter gets. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he does does a lot of promoting for um, like various boutique labels. So I get a lot of stuff. Uh, he, well, he sends me a lot of stuff, actually. So Nice. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, there's not really much else I can add to this. I Obviously, I could sit here and suck this movie's dick for the next two hours. But obviously, I don't think anybody really wants to hear that for too much longer. I've already said my piece about it. Absolutely love it. I, I mean, literally, I, I don't yeah. even have anything negative to say about it. Like, I, I literally sat on my couch last night trying to think, what can I say negative about this movie? What didn't I like? What didn't work for me? And there's not a goddamn thing I can think about. I don't know about, obviously, you know, you guys, um, obviously, uh, you, we all enjoyed it to a certain degree. Um, but I just like I said, I mean, I was hard pressed to find something negative to say about it. Even even, um, you know, Paul, uh, Major DeFranco, who, you know, is probably the biggest piece of shit in the movie. Even he had a place in this film. He needed to be here. He needed to be that counter to, you know, to Bob and Marla's character and, and, you know, to be that kind of yes man to do whatever the colonel tells him to do. It just, you know, and even, oh man, I haven't even brought up uh, Hildegard's character, uh, uh, basically a a German woman who is an American, but born in Germany, moved to America probably like, what, 15 years? I think she said 1931, so like 14 years before this movie takes place, and is still living with all the stares and the racism I mean, could you imagine being a German-American in 1945 in America? It had to be absolute hell. Everybody just saying you're a Nazi. Oh, you're a Nazi spy. You're this, you're that. 
You know, it's it's the same as being a Middle Eastern person during the 90s or in the Gulf War or even more recently being a Chinese person uh, in America since the covid outbreak back in 2020. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like people are just lumped in with these countries and they're instantly looked down on. So I absolutely loved Hildegard's character as well. Was she a Nazi? Was she not a Nazi? Obviously, we'll never know. You can develop your own opinions as you're watching the movie. But just, uh, again, just, and, and again, I am a minority. I'm a Spanish man. Um, so, you know, maybe I don't live with it. You know, luckily, America's never gone to war with Spain because the Lord knows whose side I would take on that one. But it, it'd be the same thing. It's like suddenly I'm looked down on because you know, uh, America suddenly at war with my home country, the country that I was born in. So, you know, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I mean, just that really struck me. Hildegard's, uh, her fear, you know, the, the looks on her face of, oh shit, these people are going to kill me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm done. And, and then just how it ends and the person who ends it, it's all so surprising and unexpected, uh, that, it just like I said, I, I, I again, I'm still I'm still smiling uh, just thinking about this movie as I sit here talking about it and just all yeah. the everything that I loved about it. I, Somebody else. I, I, I really liked the interrogation scene because I think it was a good example of like once you're trained to do certain things and have a demeanor and you've gone through experiences probably with like some of the worst people in the world. Mm -hmm. it, yes, you can transition back into like the, I guess the normal world, as they say it, but you're never, you're probably never truly the same person and how easy it was for a character that was pretty like soft-spoken and was, was one of the more like uh, hands-off characters up to that point was like, okay, it's time for me to take over and goes immediately into the interrogation and then the interrogation means uh you're like oh shit like well i guess she's determined to get the truth out of this person and uh i just thought that, that was really well done and you can even make the argument you know because it wasn't a very long interrogation obviously um marla maybe was taking it a little bit easy because this isn't war you know hildegard isn't a prisoner of war she's not a she's not a nazi in a military prison that she's interrogating she's a civilian someone who basically works at a grocery store at least as she tells us and just all of it just worked so well for me i'm i'm, I'm sorry I, i'm almost losing my train of thought because there's so many thoughts going around in my head of just aspects of this film that i absolutely love that um, like I said, I can sit here and fillet this movie for a, another hour or two easily. It's just, it, like I said, it worked for me. I know when I watch a movie that's going to be either my number one or my number two at the end of the year, just because of how it leaves me feeling, how I'm talking about. I was talking to coworkers today about it who don't even watch horror, and well, rightfully so, since it's barely a horror film. But since they're not horror fans, obviously none of them have Shudder, so it's it's difficult to you know to be able to say, oh, you need to watch this or that because they'll probably never have the opportunity to watch it unless they get Shudder or something like that. So, um, I I do hope that this movie finds its audience. I don't know if it's going to find its audience on Shudder because obviously most people you know are expecting horror, some kind of genre, you know, flick on Shudder. They're not expecting to get a hardcore drama, you know, when they sit down to a Shudder film, especially, I mean, if you look at the poster, the poster itself looks like a haunted house poster. It looks like it's just a traditional, like Blumhouse, James Wan haunted house type movie, but it's just so different. I mean, you could almost make the argument 
that the poster and the trailer do this movie a disservice because there's so much more to this film than the seance. But to the horror poster, fans, the poster, the poster and the trailer gives me like a vibe of something like the Frighteners. Like almost. yes, oh well, the poster definitely, yeah. I, obviously, I don't watch trailers before the movie. I did watch a trailer afterwards, and it definitely had a uh, almost like a would you rather type thing, or you know, mm-hmm. any kind of movie that has a traditional seance scene in it, or you know, a, a collection of people around a table talking about something. You know, all of I that. even thought like, the, uh, yeah, I, I thought the style of like when they do the seance and the the ghost arm comes up, it, it mm-hmm. made me think of like the the style of like the ghosts and the frightener too, like that Absolutely. color scheme and all that. Yep. Even the lighting in the room when the ghost arm shows up, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the lighting drastically changed and you got this great almost like ectoplasmic effect on the walls with the lighting. And then as soon as the ghost arm disappears, boop, the lighting's gone. And uh, it just, like I said, it worked so well for me. This amazing design throughout the entire film. Just, ah, uh, God, somebody shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even want to, because I, I agree with almost everything you're saying, really. But, um, I, yeah, I just hope people check it out. I mean, I'm hoping... I assume there's that, you know, the majority of Shutter subscribers, uh, if they're like regularly checking on the app, they'll always see when new stuff rolls out. Hopefully the title, because Brooklyn 45, I mean, it almost sounds like a TV show, like a buddy cop. Like, what's that? Ah, What's that show on? uh, Car 54. (laughs) Car 54 or that. What's it? Brooklyn Nine Nine or whatever it's called. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, it almost sounds something like that. So me. Hopefully it passes like the Dave Z test of like title and box art is like good enough for most people because I think if <laughs> if you if you get uh, far enough to where you hit play on it I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I can't disagree. Um, I I, I really want to get as many eyes on this movie as I possibly can. I, I know that ultimately more than half the people that I recommend this movie to maybe aren't gonna like it, are gonna wish there's more horror elements to it. Or that they got more answers questioned by the end, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, questions answered (laughs) by the end of the film. I'm so excited. I can't fucking speak. Uh, And I'm (laughs) sick. So cut me some slack. Um, (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else I can really say about this without uh, going into spoilers. So what do you guys say? Are we ready? Let's do it. Yeah, I'm good. Cool. Not going to be much of a walkthrough because obviously, as I said, this is very much a chamber movie. Uh, basically takes place in one room. It's really just a matter of these conversations and the revelations that we get throughout the film. But uh, our movie basically opens up um, on December 27th, 1945. The war just ended in May. So a lot of people are just getting back home. They've been home maybe, you know, for a couple of months. And we see multiple characters, including uh, the Sheridans, Marla and Bob. Marla is, of course, our interrogator. She was our army interrogator during the war. Bob is her husband, who was the pencil pusher, if you will, at the Pentagon, who obviously he gets no respect from the soldiers in the room. Both majors and the colonel give Bob kind of a lot of shit. I mean, literally... um, Archie, uh, yeah, Major Stanton is literally treating him like a child right from the beginning of the movie. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there's obviously a weird relationship here. You know, he he is still a military official, 
for all intents and purposes, but he's never seen any war. Whereas at least the interrogator, his wife, she was actually there on the front lines. I mean, she was she may not have been holding a gun and, you know, running at Nazis or anything, but she was there interrogating Nazis, you know, getting war secrets out, things like that. So um, next we're introduced to Major Stanton, who, you know, shows up very handsome man, almost like a Powers Booth type character. He's a character actor that I recognize um, from uh, House of Cards. I remember he was on House of Cards. He was also in a horror movie called The Ranger from 2018. That was pretty good if you want to check that one out. Um, and basically, again, he he's kind of like you're almost like you're. How can I put it? Almost like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Gatsby, like maybe not necessarily rich, but a very outgoing, handsome, charming type character. Uh, he's got the brightest colored clothes in, in the whole uh, movie. He's got like a red jacket on that's not ultra bright, but compared to everybody else's, you know, muted tones, it's it's very noticeable. After that, we are introduced to Larry Fessenden, who is he was the commanding officers of 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 all the military people here other than Bob, like I said, who was in Washington. He is he plays Colonel Hoxstetter. And then uh, our final character that we meet, at least in the intro, is Major Paul DeFranco. He is the very stern military man. He's the only one still dressed in his military finery. Uh, he's got all his medals and his uniform on and everything else. He's obviously a very proud military man, very patriotic, as much as I hate to use that word in this day and age. Um, and basically, we find out that Larry Fessenden's wife, Susan, committed suicide, uh, what, right after Thanksgiving, I think they say? It was like six weeks previous to this. Uh, and the reason that she committed suicide was because she suspected their neighbors, who were German-Americans, of being Nazi spies. She basically would, you know, uh, submit paperwork to officials, to military officials saying, hey, these people need to be checked out. I think they're spies, blah, blah, blah. Nothing ever came of it because, you know, they're basically grocers. Uh, she works for her father-in-law who owns a uh, uh, like a grocery store, a green grocer, as they call it back then. And, you know, that's basically how she makes her living. Uh, that's Hildy that I'm talking about, who we have not met yet, by the way. And after after Larry Fessenden's amazing soliloquy about his wife's suicide, why she did it, um, I didn't actually finish the story, did I? Uh, basically, she tried to tell everybody that she could that these people were Nazis. And finally, on Thanksgiving morning, she tells her husband, you know, she tries to convince her husband one last time, honey, I think they're Nazis. We need to get these people checked out. And his exact reaction was he kind of laughs at her and leaves the house, uh, I, I think in his words, to go get a pack of Westerfields, which are the cigarettes that they're all smoking in this film. Uh, when he comes back from the store, his wife is lying on the floor dead with her wrists slit. And so he believes that um, just the fact that nobody would believe her, the fact that she was so convinced that these people were Nazi spies and that no one would believe her just kind of drove her to insanity, which then, you know, takes her to that depression that, you know, ends up uh, making someone commit suicide. So after telling this story, he starts to talk about how he started going to church after her suicide. And that one day when he was talking to the priest at the church, 
the priest let them know, which most of us know, uh, according to the Bible, if you commit suicide, your soul is going to hell because, you know, it's an unforgivable act. Apparently, the priest made that statement to Larry Fessenden one day, Fessenden, again, Colonel Hochstetter, and just basically he lost it. He lost all desire to believe in Christianity, in religion, and basically he started to look into the metaphysical and the occult and basically mediums who claim that they can talk to the dead through seances and Ouija boards and things like that. And he says that over the last couple of weeks, since he gave up on religion, he's kind of been thinking about performing a seance of some kind to see, maybe not necessarily to communicate with his wife, but just to see if there's something after. Is his wife's soul really burning in hell because of the suicide? Is it all bullshit and she's just, uh, as he puts it, rotting in the ground? You know, so... Obviously, this is 1945, and these are all older adults who are in the military, so obviously no one believes him. Everybody's like, are you kidding me? No, no, this is stupid. How can you believe something like that? Instantly, you know, he's like, well, I don't know if I do. That's the whole point. And then that's when he lets them know that he wants to perform a seance. Now, he he openly admits he doesn't really know what he's doing. You know, he's read some stuff in books here and there. Obviously, there's no internet in 1945, so... It's not like he can go to the Supernatural Wiki and get instructions on a seance. So he basically takes the little bit of information that he knows and he starts having a seance. He puts everyone into a circle. You know, everybody's holding hands around this table. He has a locket that belonged to his wife, along with a handkerchief that she must have been holding when she committed suicide because it's covered with blood. So he uses those as her personal items and then he just basically does the, a very basic thing where he has everybody hold hands and he just starts speaking out loud. Are there any spirits here? Please give us a sign if there's anyone here with us, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly we start hearing banging coming from a closet. And obviously, you know, we're watching a horror movie. So instantly we're like, oh, shit, you know, they made contact with something. And, we, you know, throughout the seance, we hear this banging on the door of this closet in the room. Mind you, I forgot to mention that uh, Colonel Hawk basically locked everyone into this room. So they are they're in this room against their will. Basically, they can't get out until the door is opened. And he, of course, has the key. So as he's performing the seance, you know, he's speaking, asking, is there anyone here? Suddenly the locket starts shaking and suddenly it like stiffens up and starts pointing at, you know, just a random spot in the room. Uh, the necklace or the locket starts uh, kind of slowly moving around the room. And as it like passes the line, like the eyesight line of a candle, that candle lights up. So literally it's spinning very slowly around the room and all the candles are being lit. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, obviously everyone's freaking out, you know, there's the noise coming out of the closet. Uh, you know, suddenly all the lights go out, uh, the radio turns on. I, I think the song that's playing is, is you is, or is you ain't my baby. <laughs> I believe famously from a Tom and Jerry cartoon. That's how I know it. But, um, there's, by the way, the score in this movie is actually really cool, too. Obviously, it's going to be all period music from the time, 
but a lot of it is really cool and probably recognizable from other films that you may have seen. Or if you play the Fallout games, you might recognize like some Al Jolson music in here as well. So um, uh, basically uh, at one point, uh, the major, uh, Major DeFranco, he gets freaked out and he basically uh, stops holding hands. He breaks the circle basically. As soon as he breaks the circle, the necklace kind of stops moving and just kind of falls to the ground. Um, he starts talking about how this is all poppycock bullshit. And just when he's like at his most volcanic, literally a ghost arm comes out of the middle of the table that they're all sitting around. And suddenly they all hear a voice and everybody in the room instantly is like, oh shit, that's Susie's voice. I know that voice anywhere. I've known this woman since we were kids. I think it was Marla specifically, uh, Anne Ramsey's character who says, you know, I know that voice anywhere. I've, I've, you know, I've known Susie since we were kids. We grew up together. We went to the war together, blah, blah, blah. Um, you can't really tell what the voice is saying. It's it just that you can hear some random words being spoken, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, um, someone says something that upsets the spirit and the arm just kind of disappears and goes back into the back into the table. The lights come back on. The radio turns itself off. Everything seems like it's back to normal. And that's when uh, Colonel Hawk basically looks at uh, Major DeFranco and says, I need you to do something for me before I can allow you to leave this room. He doesn't say what, he just says, I need you to do something. Then he sits back down in his seat and he says, I, I got the information I wanted. I know, you know, what I need to do. I know, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got the answers that I wanted. Instantly, he pulls out a gun that he had hidden under the uh, table, sticks it in his mouth and blows his fucking brains out the back of his head in what is a really, really cool effect, actually. And we look at this thing a lot throughout the movie. I mean, the camera constantly pans back to the giant hole in the back of uh, uh, Colonel Hawk's head. Obviously, everyone at the seance is freaking out. What is going on? Blah, blah, blah. Everyone just kind of, you know, is just looking at each other. And then suddenly the closet door opens and out pops a woman who's tied up and gagged. She's able to get out of her uh, her tie up and she gets the gag off her mouth and she tries to leave the room. Uh, the door won't open, obviously, because it's locked and the colonel has the key in his pocket, the colonel who just blew his brains out. But then she starts speaking and everybody realizes that she has a German accent. And then that's when everybody realizes this is the neighbor that Susie was talking about. This is the person that Susie thought was a Nazi spy. Instantly, Major DeFranco is like, you know, instantly believes that, yeah, she's a Nazi spy. Why would Susie, a woman who seemed like she had all her marbles, um, you know, was of the right mind, why would she kill herself for someone that she wasn't 100% sure was a Nazi? So, of course, uh, you know, uh, the Major grabs the gun that uh, the Colonel just blew his head off with and points it at her to make sure that she doesn't try to leave the room. Uh, you know, we get some back and forth between the characters, you know, people trying to figure out what's going on. Obviously, Paul, at that point, Paul DeFranco realizes this is what he wants me to do. He wanted me to finish the job that Susie and the government couldn't. And that's kill this woman for being a Nazi spy. 
Now, obviously, there's no proof that this woman's a Nazi spy. You know, she doesn't have any military gear on. You know, she's just dressed normally. And, you know, she starts talking about how, you know, she's a grocer. She works at her uh, father-in-law's or something like that. Her father-in-law's grocery store three blocks away. Everyone in the neighborhood knows her. You know, they know that, you know, that she's not a Nazi, blah, blah, blah. But obviously no one in the room is convinced. Everyone in the room is like, there's got to be something weird going on. Why was she locked in the room? What's funny is that at one point, Major DeFranco even accuses her of hiding in the closet. It's like, motherfucker, she was tied up and gagged. It's not like she did that to herself and hid in the closet, you know? So at this point, it's up to Marla to find out if this woman is a Nazi. And basically, you know, uh, they convince her to interrogate this woman because they want to leave. And Paul basically has everyone at gunpoint and is saying no one is leaving this room until I find out the truth, blah, blah, blah. So we we then get the interrogation scene. And obviously I'm skipping a lot of dialogue here and there because I can't possibly remember everything they said. But, uh, you know. Marla interrogates her. She basically uses the, um, you know, the bamboo shoots underneath the fingernails. But instead of bamboo, it's like a hairpin that she pulls out of her hair. And she basically tells the woman, all right, you're going to answer my questions no matter how many times I ask. Um, You know, you're not going to you're not going to try to get up out of the chair. If you get up out of the chair, it's an admission of guilt. If you pull your hand away from me, it's an admission of guilt. Basically just laying down all the ground rules. Eventually, you know, she just starts asking very basic questions. What is your name? What is your husband's name? What are your daughter's names? Blah, blah, blah. You know, she answers them without issue. Then suddenly uh, she gives an answer that Marla isn't really happy with. And she jams her hairpin in under the fingernail of this woman of Hildegard, Hildy, as her friends call her. And obviously, you know, it looks awful. Nail torture is fucking nail and tooth torture are two of the most painful looking things to me. Like I it, I find it so hard to watch anytime teeth or finger or toenails are, you know, fucked with in a torture scene. And this one is no different. Not nearly as graphic as some of the torture scenes that we've seen where people get teeth ripped out or nails ripped off, but um still pretty fucking painful. Um she asks the woman again, what is your name? What is your husband's name? What are your daughter's name? Have you now or ever been a member of the Nazi party? Have you now or ever been a member of the German workers, blah, 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 you know, the, the basically the Nazi group out there, the full name for the Nazis. And, uh, you know, she's always answering, no, 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 I'm not. Finally, Marla, for whatever reason, I forget the specific answer that um, Hildy gave, but finally uh, Marla is convinced this woman is not a Nazi. She's just not a Nazi. So she basically pulls the thing out of her finger, her hairpin, and then she goes back to Paul and says, Paul, I did my interrogation. This woman is not a Nazi. Okay, I've been doing this for years. I know how to break people. And yeah, this woman is not a Nazi, blah, blah, blah. The the torture scene was actually a lot tamer than I thought it was going to be. I thought they were going to do a lot worse shit to her, but luckily it was just the fingernail thing that was happening. But eventually we start getting more revelations about different characters in the movie. Um, Earlier in the film, we find out that uh, Major Stanton is going to be going on trial after the new year for war crimes. 
uh, war crimes that, of course, he claims he didn't do. He denies that he did anything wrong. But this is where we fi actually find out what he did. And what what he did was on the command of Colonel Hochstetter, he basically went and took out a shelter, a children's shelter. He took it out because there were two snipers on top of the building and they needed, you know, the, the American soldiers couldn't move around because they kept getting picked off by these two snipers. So basically, Hochstetter gives him the uh, the command to, you know, sneak up to the building somehow, try not to get yourself killed and, you know, find a way into that building. And pretty much the only way that uh, Major Stanton can think of is to grab a belt of grenades. You know, they, they would have those belts of full of grenades around their shoulders. He basically took an entire belt of grenades and threw it into the building as I mentioned, this is a shelter for children. So um, I think they, the exact number was there were 56 children in there. He throws the grenade belt in there. The grenade belt goes off, killing everyone in the in that building. Eventually, they are able to take out the building. Uh, they are able to get up to the roof and take out the two snipers. So the mission is a success. But obviously, now Major Stanton is being looked at poorly because he took out 56 fucking kids innocent kids ultimately and this is where hildegard starts basically saying hey look what you guys did during war doesn't dictate who you are i don't believe that any of you are bad people because you did what you had to do you you, you did what your commanding officer told you to do and then she makes I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, they, they may tip their hat here a little bit, but she makes the mistake of saying we do what our commanders tell us to do. And instantly Major DeFranco's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you said you were a grocer and you've never seen war. What do you mean you do what your commander tells you to do? And instantly you see her kind of hiccup and kind of, you know, go back on her words and say, well, no, you know, I've I've never had a commander, but. My father, who is the owner of the grocery store, is like my commander. Obviously, that's not enough of an explanation for um, Major, uh, for Major, uh, not Stanton, Major DeFranco. And, you know, he basically just wants to kill this woman. He's like, that's it. She's a Nazi. I think she's a Nazi, blah, blah, blah. And then this is where the movie kind of starts taking a very, very weird turn. Suddenly, Colonel Hochstetter's body, who's been sitting at the table the whole time with a giant hole in the back of his head, starts fucking talking. <laughs> he starts basically saying, kill the Nazis. He says it very slowly at first, kill the Nazi. But then as the movie goes along, he starts getting more and more coherent, actually speaking like he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Um Obviously, this freaks out everybody. Poor Bob, who, like I said, has never seen war and who's basically I hate to say it, but, you know, he kind of is kind of like a little bitch character. You know, he kind of does what his wife tells him. And, you know, he's not exactly a rough and tough kind of fella. Uh, he wants to get the hell out of the room. And basically, at, at one point, Major Stanton is able to disarm Major DeFranco and they make an agreement of let's just trade then you give me the key i'll give you the gun but of course major stanton doesn't want to agree because he knows if he gives up the gun uh defranco is going to kill the german woman just right off the bat he's just going to kill her just because that's what his colonel wanted him to do um uh, eventually they come up with some kind of agreement where they trade the gun for the key 
But uh, when when DeFranco goes to try to open the door with the key, the the door the door the keyhole in the door swallows up the key. Very reminiscent of um, Insidious Four. If you remember when they put the key in that lock, it actually sucked the key in. Um, I think they also do that in like one of the Harry Potter movies too, if I remember. But anyway, uh, but everybody's freaking out. They're like, the door is still locked and the key is now gone. The door literally sucked the key up and the door is still locked. Everybody's freaking out. They don't know what the hell they're going to do. You know, Suddenly, Major Stanton just starts freaking out and saying, I don't care. I don't care if I'm found guilty for my crimes. I just want to get the fuck out of this room. And the door opens, just magically opens. But when he opens the door, it's just it's like a bunch of debris and some burned bodies. One of them very much still alive, looking right back at him. I think it was moving like one of its limbs or something, which was all obviously charred and just all fucked up. Everybody starts freaking out. They they tell him, close the door, close the door. <laughs> he closes the door back up and and then it's just right back to square one. What the hell do we do? At that point, uh, Marla has the idea. We never finished the seance, you know, because Major DeFranco pulled his hand away and broke the circle. We didn't actually finish the seance. So the door to the spirit world is still open. So the idea is let's finish the seance. So they all get back on the table. Obviously, DeFranco isn't buying any of this, but he he relents just because he still doesn't have the gun, which is exactly what he wants, because he just wants to kill Hildy, you know, regardless. And finally, they they all sit down back at the table and they even they still include Hockstetter in the circle, like his hands are still connected to a couple of people. They basically start again talking to the spirits and suddenly a female spirit shows up behind them, an actual full fledged ghost, you know, is crawling on the ground behind the seance table and the ghost is crawling towards Hildy. And is basically saying, tell them what you did. Tell them what you did to me. And basically uh, a butcher knife just kind of magically shows up in Hildy's hand. She throws it across the room because she doesn't want anything to do with it. And suddenly another butcher knife just shows up in her hand. And Hildy's like, I don't know what's going on. I didn't do anything. And then the spirit grabs Hildy's hand and says, show them what you did, show them how you did it. And they basically show the spirit grab Hildy's hand with the knife in it and kind of slit her wrist lengthwise, you know, the way that I guess is most effective if you're going to try to kill yourself. And at that point, you know, the spirit just disappears at that point. uh, Major Stanton looks at her and says, did you do it? Did you actually kill Susie? And she, of course, she denies everything. I don't know. I didn't I didn't kill anyone. I'm a grocer for fuck's sake. I've been telling you that the whole time. But at that exact moment, fucking Hockstetter wakes up, maybe not wakes up like he's still alive, um, but he, a, a bunch of blood starts coming out of his mouth and suddenly there's a big puddle of blood on the table. Uh, Bob is freaking out and he says, stop it, stop it. And the spirit actually, or I shouldn't say the spirit, but uh, Hawk kind of agrees and stops the blood, the blood that's coming out of his mouth. But then he fucking sits up, 
with his eyes wide open and he's looking at all of them saying, kill her, kill the Nazi. And, you know, everybody, everybody except DeFranco is like, no, we're not going to kill this woman. We don't know that she's a Nazi. We don't know that she hurt Susie, blah, blah, blah. And then what's probably the scene that's probably going to make horror fans the most happy. Uh, Hawk starts slamming his own head onto the table. Killer, killer, and just slams his head on the table over and over again. His face starts getting distorted. You could see his jaw kind of dislocate. Most of his teeth have been knocked out. I mean, it doesn't even look like Larry Fessenden anymore. It just it looks like a fucking um, like a Halloween store prop. It's just all blood and just a mass of flesh. Blah blah blah. Um, everybody's just freaking the fuck out. Finally, out of nowhere, Bob, of all people, the little wishy-washy little bitch in this whole thing, suddenly grows a pair. And uh, basically, uh, DeFranco, Major DeFranco finally says, fuck it, uh, I'm killing this bitch and I don't care what anybody says. So he, he lunges at Hildy, starts strangling her with his bare hands. And then um, Major Stanton tries to pull him off of her unsuccessfully. Bob, at that point, notices the gun sticking out of Major Stanton's pocket, and he grabs it and he points it right at uh, Major DeFranco's head and says, get off of her, get off of her, you're not going to kill her, blah, blah, blah. Of course, after that, DeFranco starts insulting him, you know, saying he has no spine, no backbone. This is why you've never seen war, because you can't handle it, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, um, DeFranco makes a move towards him and tries to grab the gun. And Bob shoots and actually shoots off one of his fingers. So his hand is all split open and bleeding at that point, DeFranco's like, you son of a bitch. And then he actually lunges at him to attack him. And Bob shoots him in the fucking head. And which, you know, to be expected, you know, Bob's defending himself, defending his wife from this guy who's very obviously not of his right mind. He's all fucked up. And then suddenly Hildy turns to Bob and says, thank you. And what does Bob do? He points the gun right at her face and blows her brains out. And just instantly the room goes silent. Everybody's like, what the fuck did you just do? This guy who, you know, never showed any kind of spine ever suddenly has just killed two people. The door is still locked. Bob keeps saying, I had to do it. I have to get out of here. We need to get out of here. I need to, you know, protect my wife, blah, 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 blah. But the doors are still locked. They haven't opened yet. So finally Bob looks at the Colonel at Hawk, you know, his body that's ba that barely looks human anymore because of his head being all smashed open. And he says, that's it. Open the door. And, you know, he gets mad because he doesn't open the door right away. He slams his hands down on the table and says, open the door now. And right when he says that, the door fucking opens and they open the door uh, to the parlor and everything is normal outside the parlor room there. You know, there's no burning kids there, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's just like, what the fuck just happened? You know, you've got three dead bodies in this room and three people walking out of the house. Uh, our three survivors, Major Stanton, Marla, and her husband, Bob, are outside. Just kind of, you know, they start talking about, you know, what they're going to do now. 
Uh, Major Stanton basically says, you know what, tomorrow I'm just going to go to the board and I'm going to admit what I did. I'm not, I'm not even going to wait for the trial. I'm just going to admit to what I did and I'll deal with the repercussions, you know. Um, and so obviously Major Stanton was being um, honest earlier in the film when he said, I don't care if I go to jail, if I go to hell, just get me the fuck out of this room. So he has basically, you know, now is saying that he's going to go to the police or the board. I think he says the board. So he's probably going to like a military tribunal or something. After he says that, he looks at Bob and says, I'm going to do the right thing. Are you going to do the right thing? And Bob just looks at him like I had to do it. I had to kill the woman. I had to kill Paul because he was about to attack me. And I had to kill the woman so that we could get the fuck out of that room. Um, but he doesn't actually say in so many words that, yes, I will be turning myself in. I mean, these three people, they all leave a uh, a crime scene. Now, um, I'm very sorry. One of the things that I forgot to mention throughout the movie is that multiple characters in this movie, after they're told the war is over, answer says who. Uh, there's at least four people in the movie that say that line says who, you know, who says the war is over. And basically our, you know, our movie ends with Marla and Bob in their car outside of Hawk's house, his brownstone. And uh, again, you know, Marla says, can we just forget about this fucking war? Can we move on with our lives? And Bob looks at her and says, the war's over. And Marla looks back at him and says, says who? And then that's the end of our film. Um, our film goes back, it fades back out to black and white, and it squeezes back into the four by three uh, aspect ratio. And our credits play, we get a beautiful song playing during the closing credits. And like I said, you get that beautiful font, that kind of olden font, kind of scripty typeset. And, you know, it just it looks really, really nice. And that's our movie, folks, Brooklyn 45. I guarantee I did not do that movie any justice. As I said, I'm not feeling my great. I didn't get a chance to watch the movie a second time, though I guarantee I'm going to watch it many, many times after this. And, uh, yeah, that's it, folks. Like I said, you could, you could honestly just say that this is a drama with horror elements, which wouldn't be incorrect. I'm actually very okay with somebody calling it that because, you know, I – I tend to say that I don't like dramas, but when but when they incorporate horror elements like this, like St. Maud, Tigers Are Not Afraid, movies like that, um, I tend to love it. So, yeah, I walk away from this one thinking this was an absolute beautiful film, both in storytelling, in its appearance, in its performances, in its direction, just everything about this movie worked for me. And, uh, yeah, I need to shut up because I'm starting to lose my voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much concur. Yeah, I, I don't have much else to add. Um, yeah, like I said, this is definitely – this movie is not going to work for everyone. I, I can see that. The movies that are my number one at the end of the year, almost every year I look at them like, yeah, I could see how people would hate this. Maybe not with Hereditary so much, but, you know, with a lot of the other ones, it's like, yeah, I can see why this one speaks to me more than it speaks to a lot of other people. I, I mentioned earlier that I do like, you know, World War II content, documentaries, movies, Saving Private Ryan's one of my favorite movies ever, you know, just stuff like that. Uh, the History Channel was my best friend in college, just watching all this great World War One and World War Two footage. So I understand why this movie speaks to me more than others. And if it doesn't speak to you, 
you know, nothing wrong with that. All opinions are valid. If you didn't like it, you didn't like it. If you love it as much as I do, please let me know because I feel like I'm a man on a lonely island just by myself, you know, <laughs> praising this movie. So, uh, yeah, not really much else to say at this point. All right. Then uh, what we will say is that uh, that's going to wrap up this episode of Fresh Cuts. But before we do that, let's find out where else uh, we can be heard. So go ahead, Venom. Uh, obviously, I've been sick for the last week, so I, I don't have anything new to talk about. Creature Comforts episode 17 is still our latest, or episode 17? Yeah, I think it's 17. Uh, with David Garrett, still our latest episode. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I already have plans to record all this weekend, so hopefully next week we can get back on track to record both Creature Comforts, Crystal Lake Gift Shop, and then, of course, the main show, which... The main show didn't get postponed so much as just we haven't really had a chance to schedule it yet. So, um, so yeah, not really a whole lot new for me. Like I said, I do have some guest spots coming up. I'm going to be on the Joe Blow Horror Show tomorrow night talking about Resident Evil Apocalypse, which is the second movie in the franchise. Um, that's part of their summer series, so I would imagine that episode won't be out until July or August sometime. But once it is released, I'll let everybody know. I know Mike is also doing a guest spot uh, on the same franchise uh, with the Joe Blow guys, so he'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, just, you know, still recovering from the flu. And yes, it was just the flu, not COVID, thankfully. Uh, last time I had COVID, it absolutely kicked my ass. This time it was, like I said, it was a flu that kind of lingered a little bit longer than it should have. I still do have a lingering cough and, you know, some phlegm, <laughs> yum, uh, coming out. So, yeah, uh, hopefully in the next week or two, I'll have more to talk about. But, yeah, that's it for me. All right, Don, what do you got? Uh, yeah, um, as mentioned, uh, we're looking forward to uh, the latest episode of Creature Comforts. Uh, should be fun time with that one. Uh, still waiting on my uh, long-promised uh, guest spots. I, I swear that they're recorded, folks. I've been complaining about them for... Yeah, I swear they're coming. Um, I know I've been talking about them for almost a month now, but um, yeah, my guest spot on uh, Stu World Order, looking at Red 2. Um, my guest spot on Road to Nowhere, looking at a triple bill of Fulci films. Uh, like I said, both of those are coming. I just don't know when. Um, same for uh, DVD Infatuation. I, I don't know when that's coming. Uh, but uh, latest episode of uh, Horror Countdown is uh, available. We took a look at 1970s nature run-em-up films. So, uh, you know, Grizzly, Day of the Animals, Jaws, Frogs, um, all that kind of good stuff. So go ahead and uh, check that one out whenever you can. But, uh, yeah, just... Uh, Waiting on those to come out. I, I swear they're coming. I Like I said, I, I just don't know when. But, uh, yeah, I um, guess that would be all for me. All right. Um, and then for me, the the only thing I have is the guess what I did, which I know I've alluded to. I don't, I'm not sure if I actually mentioned what it was, but it's supposed to be released tomorrow as we're recording this episode on a Thursday. So from what I'm told... It will be released uh, Friday. It'll be June 16th. And I guess did a guest spot on Slumber Party Massacre where we talked about 
uh, franchise entries that jump the shark. So uh, you will see or you will hear that uh, the definition of jumping the shark kind of is different for different people, how we kind of mold it into what we consider and why for an entry to have jumped the shark. But in total, I think there were what uh, six movies because there was yeah five hosts or actually no might maybe seven but a lot let's just say a lot of movies were discussed more than i'm used to on a podcast lately um so that was really fun um hopefully yeah hopefully it sticks to the schedule being released check that out um and then as that's all i got besides our you know my shows that i do but uh, as far as the next episode of Fresh Cuts, uh, it should be The Blackening, which releases this weekend. Uh, horror comedy. Uh, you could, if you can't tell by the title, they play on a certain trope. But what if the? It's basically what if the entire cast is black? So like, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, I've seen the trailer when I went to you know other movies in the theater and. It definitely comes off like, wow, this is either going to be hilarious or horrible. One of the two. <laughs> like, hopefully they really go for it and don't hold back and just aim to make people laugh. Um, and if that's the case, it could end up being really good. So that's going to be discussed on the next episode of Fresh Cuts. But for this episode, we are done. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. War is hell. Don't open the damn door.